Hi, I'm Fraser Rice, and welcome to this episode of the Fraser Rice Podcast. Today I'll be speaking to Mike Monahan, the president and co-founder of Beartooth.com. He'll be talking about the future of the handheld industry and his product at Beartooth. And with that, let's dive into today's conversation. So Michael, Beartooth.com. Tell me how it works and how does it work with your phone? Does it plug in? Do you have a bracket on it? Do you have a wire that fits in your pocket? How does it go about working? Uh, Beartooth allows any iOS or Android-based device to communicate where there's no cell or Wi-Fi. And what Beartooth is, it's a very small piece of hardware that we've developed. It's about the size of uh, 10 credit cards stacked on each other. It communicates with your phone via Bluetooth. So pair the phone to the Beartooth via Bluetooth uh, and then the Beartooths can talk to each other using VHF or UHF radio waves. So I, I've used walkie-talkies before where uh, the frequencies get crowded. You hear two kids making pillow forts. You have uh, a keg party over here uh, and then you know actual industrial things going on on another site uh, or another frequency. How do, you, how do you get around that problem? We solve a lot of those problems, and most of those go away using Beartooth. And the short answer is... We dynamically manage the channel that you're on. And so, in fact, you as a user, you're not even going to realize that you're on channel 5 or channel 4. You're not even going to have to set any of that. The Beartooths do all that for you. And we have a bunch of algorithms that dynamically analyze how much traffic is on one particular channel. So you and I may be talking on a channel, and seamlessly, as soon as the Beartooth figures out it's busy, it goes looking for a free channel and moves us over to that. And you and I don't even know we've moved. We just know we have nice, clear communication. So how do I, uh, how do I know to uh, include you on a conversation? And if I wanted to include a couple of other people in a conversation and keep it limited to that, how does that work? Do you have an app that sort of helps uh, navigate the, navigate the uh, hardware? So the two pieces that make it function are the hardware we've built and an app that lives on your iPhone or Android-based device. So in the app, um, it's going to look very familiar to you. So the messaging is going to look very similar to messaging apps you've used. The mapping functionality is going to look very similar to mapping that you used. And when it comes to building a group, that's one of the powerful things that Beartooth can do. So we could start off with just you and I talking. And then we realize that my sister is going to meet us on the ski hill, and we add her to our group. And then we realize... My nephews are coming, and we add all of them. And then we realize that we want to plan one of the nephew's birthday parties, so we drop him out of the group so that he doesn't hear us all talking about his birthday party. But then we realize that we have a new friend and add them. So you can on the fly add people to your group and take them out of your group as is necessary and important for your conversation. Really cool. Does one person control all that, or does everybody have that ability? Everybody has access to manage uh, the groups as they're being added or subtracted. Um, so where did you get the idea for the product and, uh, how did you go about developing it? So late December of 2012, I was skiing with, uh, my college roommate, Kevin Ames. He's a very gifted radio engineer. We were skiing up at Bridger Bowl that has no cell coverage, big powder day. And we ended up getting separated. So at the end of the day, we met up and said, this is a problem that needs to be solved. And we started talking about it. And interestingly, he had already been, uh, out in his garage lab connecting uh, just off-the-shelf uh, tactical radios to, a, to an iPhone 4 at the time. Um, and so the, 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 the idea was really spawned from there. Um, he spent his whole life using radios, and so everything that we're building addresses pain points that exist in today's commercial radio market. Talk a little bit about how you and Kevin uh, got together and how you knew you could form a business together. So my co-founder and chief technology officer is Kevin Ames. I've known Kevin my entire life. We met the first 15 minutes in the dorms and 
were originally both uh, studying electrical engineering. And it, Kevin's just a brilliant, brilliant hardware engineer, especially on anything to do with radio frequency. He built his first ham radio and he's 13 years old and he's been building them ever since. And He's just a, a real passionate person. He spent the first 10 years of his career using these types of radios as a smoke jumper. So he would leap out of an airplane into a raging forest fire with a small group of uh, highly trained uh, backcountry firefighters to try and uh, contain that fire and put it out before it spread. Then he spent the next 10 years of his career building, designing, maintaining, and implementing the uh, radio systems that those type of firefighters would use to communicate and stay safe on the side of a mountain. And so uh, as you were getting from proof uh, proof of concept to an actual product, uh, how much of what you do is uh, sort of design-oriented, and then how much of it do you come about via trial and error? So there's a very delicate balance between those two, and that's because we have two equally important sides of the house. We have a hardware side, and hardware tends to take a little bit more design, uh, design uh, and thought uh, just because the cycles are much longer. A full turn of a, a circuit board is at least a month, um, uh, and so you have that side that needs to be pretty well designed and thought out ahead of time. And then you have the software side that, yes, the very large structures need to be well thought out and designed, but it's a bit it more iterative as you move through the process. So we... Um, we have a uh, we, we try to keep a very uh, delicate balance between those two concepts. And so, as you're designing the products, uh, how much interaction do you have with the hardware manufacturers of phones, the Googles, the Apples, uh, Samsungs, etc., so that uh, what you're implementing uh, works well with them, and uh, so that you're not taken by surprise when they have new functions. We certainly speak to a lot of uh, large-scale technology uh, makers, if you will. Um, I can't say that uh, you know we we have uh, a ton of insight into their pipeline, uh, but you know our team has a a pretty good idea of of where things are going, whether it be Android releases. And so, as they put more functionality into their code or into their hardware, we then can design that into what we're doing. So tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, we've known each other for a while, and you certainly came from a Wall Street perspective. How did you get into that, and then how did you take the skills and experience from that and apply it to really kind of this startup endeavor? So I started my career at Goldman Sachs in 1998. It was an incredible place to work. Uh, just the level of commitment, uh, the type of culture, uh, and and the amount of training that they put into people. So. Every, everything that you did there, you learned to do the right way, if you will. And I think the way that it's transferred into being an entrepreneur is, you know, people there were, were very focused on being business-minded, running whatever little business they ran within the company, um, and that expectation was pushed all the way down. And the direct translation to starting a, 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 a entrepreneurial endeavor is, is you know, as you are as you were moving through the cycle, uh, so much of what you do is is setting a milestone and then beating that milestone to continue to fund operations. And so, I think that background of understanding uh, how to finance a company is incredibly powerful when you're when you're doing something that takes a fair amount of capital before any revenues will be realized. And what is it like raising money? Uh, how do you how do you get that concept across to people who are used to? maybe, uh, you know, fancier Facebook.com-y types of situations. And uh, how, do you, how do you deal with that? So in general, raising money is difficult. You know, you're asking people to part with uh, capital that they've uh, accumulated by making wise choices, and you're asking them to invest in something fairly uncertain. We've been fortunate that the people that, you know, saw what we were doing early on, we, we resonated 
with a, a select group of people that have the financial wherewithal to back a project like this and see the, the, the market opportunity. Look, last year there was $20 billion spent on tactical radio communications, about half of that hardware and about half of that uh, software and services. So it's an absolutely huge segment that has had very little innovation over the last couple decades. So it's very ripe for disruption. So I, I think, you know, it's, I would say that the general backdrop of raising money is nearly impossible. Uh, but if you've got a good idea, people will participate. And you are correct. The people that want to participate in building really core technology sometimes is different than the people that are interested in building a video game or a social network. And so was the Goldman Network uh, a real driver in that, or was it something different? Uh, you come from Montana, and which is where the Beartooth is based. Uh, do you have a lot of local investment? How does that work? So I'd say our investment's about a third, a third, a third. So about a third of our investors on the East Coast, a third are on the West Coast, uh, and a third are from Montana. So we've got... Um, uh, we, we've got some backing from what I would call folks that are entrepreneurs running very traditional businesses, very asset heavy, uh, cash flow driven. And um, this is a foray they took into something a little bit more visionary. Cool. Uh, now, for a lot of people who come from a Wall Street uh, scenario and go into the entrepreneurial world, uh, the idea of having employees uh, without the umbrella of a safe big company behind them can be a new experience. H how do you deal with that? Uh, it's certainly a different model. I mean, um, the last place I worked had, uh, I think, 60,000 people globally. At one point, I think they had trimmed down to about 40,000 by the time I left. Um, we have 13. Um, it's just an environment where there's no safety net. Um, each person is responsible for executing not only their piece of the puzzle, but there's a lot of white space between the puzzle pieces. And you have to also execute on filling in that white space. So you execute on your piece, understand the gap to the next piece, and also execute along that gap. And so as you're executing your business strategy, how do you surround yourself with expertise? Uh, that is to say, when you need help and you're sort of understanding how to execute what you're doing, how do you get the people around you that you need that will get you there without overloading the senses in some ways? And uh, how do you pick and choose the advice that you listen to? So most advice, uh, the easiest way to screen it out is all advice should come with one of three things, cash, code, or a customer. What do we mean by that? Um, we listen to our investors. Uh, we listen to people that develop our technology. That's the code or the hardware piece. And then we listen to people that bring us customers. That's the customer side. So in general, if someone hasn't brought you one of those three pieces, they don't understand your business. And while their advice may be uh, well-intentioned, it's often meaningless. Um, so that's sort of the filter we use to uh, decide which advice to let in. Uh, and the, the good thing is the people that create emerging technology, it is a it is a pretty small world and it's a community just like the financial services community that you work in and I used to work in. So that community of people you will re when you need assistance uh, will work with you. So for example, Tile was the number one crowdfunding campaign ever executed. Uh, Nick Evans, their founder and CEO, and I have become very close. He's an advisor to the company. He's an investor in the company. So anything that has to do with executing crowdfunding, uh, we reach out to Nick for just given his deep expertise in the area. Really interesting. Having it explained simply in terms of the third, third, a third with uh, with those concepts, it really makes it uh, tangible for uh, the rank and file like me and hearing about it. That's cool. Uh, 
Talk to me a little bit about working in Bozeman. Uh, it's not a typical uh, startup haven as we hear about uh, Silicon Valley and New York and all the Austin types of places that are uh, sort of typical for uh, electronic startup situations. What was it like to, to locate your business there? And you know, what are the pluses and challenges that go with that? So we focused our business there on locating it there. My co-founder's from there. He really enjoys uh, being in Montana and being in Bozeman. His family's there, both his direct and extended family. So when it was just the two of us, we put the business there. And it's worked out very well strategically. And let me walk you through some of the benefits. So doing the type of engineering that we're doing is very difficult. We're doing a lot of innovation. It's a lot of hardware development. It's a lot of very esoteric software development. So great engineers, they sometimes just need to be left alone to work quietly. So we're out of all the noise, out of all the distraction, out of all the groupthink. So that allows us to move forward very efficiently, number one. Number two, uh, the cost of running our business is probably a quarter of being here in New York City or out in San Francisco. So each dollar uh, that's invested in our company goes much farther. So our runway to get to success is much longer than if we were in a, in a major metro. Third, there's one of the top engineering schools in the country, and in fact, a very good electrical engineering and computer science department, and those are the core skill sets that we need. So we've managed to secure the top talent coming out of the university, and frankly, if there's a, a young person who wants to stay in Montana, we're the absolute most exciting opportunity. It's really the only full sort of Silicon Valley-style business being run in the area so we get our top pick of any student. You know, if we were in Palo Alto or here in New York City, we'd be competing with, you know, Palantir and Facebook and Apple and Tesla. And in fact, those companies still try to recruit our engineers. We've had Tesla come after a couple of our engineers. But for those people that want to stay in Montana and have deep engineering expertise, we've got a real competitive advantage in retaining them. I like hearing stories about uh, cities that are, in a sense, off the beaten path. And that's not to say that Bozeman isn't major, but uh, a lot of times the their entrepreneurial story does get clouded by you know these the big juggernauts. And it's it's nice to hear uh, that there are good success stories uh, along those lines. Um, you're in a bandwidth type of uh, business where you're as uh, you're helping adapt current equipment and make them sort of walkie-talkie friendly and usable on that front. What's it like dealing with the government and getting approvals and understanding that process? Look, I mean, there there is a a robust regulatory environment out there. Uh, the main entity that uh, we must work with is the FCC, and the FCC is actually a very uh, progressive and probably one of the most forward thinking. Uh, government uh, regulators out there, and they're actually, you know, they're quite good to work with. Uh, they're very clear uh, in both uh, their uh, written, um, you know, their rulemaking, uh, and they're good to work with as an organization. So we, we, we've had a favorable uh, time working with them. And, uh, you know, if you're working on some of their mandates, so for example, Better rural co connectivity is one of their mandates. More efficient spectrum usage is one of their mandates. And we solve both of those things. So we really play into the hands of, of what they're looking for. So we've, um, you know, certainly I think any entrepreneur would prefer to have uh, less regulation more than, uh, rather than more regulation. But frankly, in the area that we operate, uh, it's probably one of the best regulatory agencies out there. Interesting. So talk a little bit about how your product applies uh, to industry, to leisure activities, maybe even to military applications or governmental. Great. So let's, let's do leisure, industrial, governmental. 
So Leisure, um, we've had tremendous interest. 50,000 people have already gone to our website to be first to, be, to get their Beartooth. And those have been hikers. They've been skiers. They've been hunters. They've been climbers. And we have uh, thousands of comments from these people on our website about, or excuse me, on our Facebook page on, here's how I want to use Beartooth. And here's how it would be great on my next hunting trip. And here's how it would be great on my next skiing trip. So it's really something that in those areas where you like to go out inside and do things, we really feel like so much technology that's created, whether it be a social network or a video game, it's meant to make people look inward. And everything we're building is so people can go outward and really enjoy their actual life outside. So we think we enable all those uh, leisure activities. You know, So imagine, Fraser, you and I are up skiing and, and just I'm lapping the greatest powder on the mountain. And because you and I have direct connectivity, I can just push to talk and let you know where it's at and you can participate in it. Or you and I go to Coachella where the networks are overwhelmed. And because you and I have direct connection, you get to see your favorite DJ doing a pop-up um, a, a pop-up session, and that's something that just wouldn't have happened before. And you know, it, it's it's really instructive, I think, to look at those two cases because we cover both the end case of not enough people, no cell towers, right, and we cover the end case of too many people where the cell towers are overwhelmed, whether it be the Coachella example. You go to a Stanford football game, you can't communicate because there's a hundred thousand people in the stadium and the networks are overwhelmed. So that's the leisure activity. Looking at industrial, if you think about a large mining operation, they're all carrying two-way radios and they're probably carrying a smartphone. What's great is we merge those two devices and so now you can have a a uh, project manager driving around in his Ford 250 talking to a dragline operator uh, or a 777 truck uh, operator, and now they can be in clear communication. And not only that, we provide very robust geolocation, so now each individual can see where the other individual is on a moving map. Finally, I think he asked about governmental. Uh, whether it be disaster, uh, whether it be uh, crowd security. Um, it's a great way that if you're a tactical team that, first of all, you can communicate because keep in mind that you know cell phones are great for one-to-one -one communication, but tactical, a team of 20 people requires one-to-many. So now using the, the iPhone that you already carry every day, you can hit push to talk and talk to 20 people on your team or 200 people on your team, and they can see where you're at due to our geolocation. And if there's a long list, so for example, my co-founder used to run incident command sites for backcountry firefighters, and they would read off 10, 20, 50, 200 item lists. Well, can you imagine how many times you have to call back? I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that. Now you can just send over the entire list at once, and there's no callbacks, no readbacks, really tight, really robust communication. Cool. Urban environments, does it work in cities or how does that, how do you uh, deal with people who might be interested in, in a walkie-talkie setting in an urban environment? So we do work in an urban environment. Um, so this is where sort of range in line of sight radio becomes a very tricky question to answer. Everyone wants to say, wants to know how far will it work, right? Mm -hmm. And we know at two watts of power, which we're allowed to do in one of the spectrum uh, that, we, that we use, you can get about a, several, a couple miles line of sight. Now, if you're mountaintop to mountaintop, that's a little farther. And if we're down in an urban environment like you're talking about here in New York or Washington, D.C., you're going to operate at you know multiple blocks, high single digits, low double digits. But due to the structure, the bricks, the concrete, the steel, you are going to reduce your propagation. But if you can get a line of sight, so if you and I were standing line of sight on Fifth Avenue, we're going to get great propagation propagation. Or if you're at the top of Central Park and I'm at the bottom of Central Park, we're going to get great propagation. But if we're downtown on Wall Street and there's buildings in the way, you know, we're not going to, we're going to 
we're not going to have uh, the distance that we're going to have out uh, in the countryside. We'll still have enough to probably communicate, uh, but it's not going to be near the distance we're going to have on the, in the countryside. Yeah, but at the same time, if you've got a phone that's already used to doing that through traditional cell measures, you, you've actually got a nice redundancy there. So you're taking care of one way or the other. Yeah. A lot of people have their cell phones and they worry or, or are interested in battery life. Uh, and, and if you're out uh, skiing and you're basically out all day, it's probably not that easy to charge uh, or have access to a charger. Uh, how, does, how do you deal with that? How does the product deal with that? So that's a, a benefit of the product. So not only is it a radio, it's a backup battery as well. So we've got a 2,000 milliamp hour battery in there, which is the same size that's in your cell, your cell phone. So if your cell phone's running low on power, you can piggyback some of the power off the Beartooth, number one. From a time of use, um, we quote um, eight hours under what's called 5590. So 5% transmit, 5% receive, 90% idle. That's the industry standard way that radios are, are quoted on their, their life. And that's about uh, equivalent to what your cell phone would use. So we're, we're, our battery life will match your cell phone. And like I said, if you're not using the Beartooth and its radio uh, functionality, you can go ahead and piggyback the power out of there via um, USB uh, cable into your smartphone. Oh, well, that's a nice little backup to have. Terrific. Uh, now, you're you're running the company. How, how do you go about marketing this, and how do you decide which niches to fill in terms of getting this uh, into the public and in a way that helps you get up and running quickly? So we think our core customer is something called a life explorer, and that's a broad term. But what it really means is that we believe that same person that goes skiing at Tahoe or Vail or Aspen or Bridger Bowl or Big Sky – they go to Coachella. They go to some type of outdoor activity. And, and so we're, we're really targeting to that person that lives an active lifestyle. And you have incredible tools now with social network. You can do very targeted advertising, whether it be on Facebook or using Google AdWords. And so you can very directly target the people that you want to get. And you can really understand what your acquisition costs to acquire those customers are. What's the best way in advance of the launch date? What's the best way for our listeners to find out more about Beartooth? So we've got a, a web presence at uh, Beartooth.com, and also we've got a Facebook page. Both of those um, are incredible resources to learn more about it, to see some of the demonstrations we've given in the public, uh, read FAQs, uh, and both of those are loaded with uh, information. Or if your question is not answered there, support at Beartooth.com. Uh, and you'll get your question answered very promptly. Terrific. My pleasure having you on. Thanks for coming. Great. Thank you. And that concludes this episode of the Fraser Rice Podcast. Today we talked with Michael Monahan from Beartooth.com. If you're interested in reading my blog or to listen to previous podcast episodes, just visit FraserRice.com. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.